0: UX Podcast, episode 186. Welcome to UX Podcast, recorded for you here in Stockholm, Sweden. I'm Pat Axbom.
1: And I'm James Royal Lawson
0: with listeners in 175 countries from Sweden to Poland.
1: Boone Sheridan describes himself as a user experience designer, content wrangler, flipper of coins, maker of cocktails, and spinner of (laughs) tails.
0: But when it boils down to it, Boone, like so many of us, helps companies make products people love. He's recently joined Automatic, who you'll likely know as the company behind
1: WordPress.com and a major contributor to the WordPress platform. Now Boone lives in a converted church in Holyoke, Massachusetts. Um it's it's a lovely looking building. Um you can actually f- search for it pretty easy and find him um in his church on Google. Um Boone was obviously have he was after a place with a lot of character to live in and he definitely got it. Um and much much more than just the character of the building.
0: Because uh, in the summer of 2016 uh, suddenly, Boone started noticing people gathering outside his home, staring at their phones. And uh, j- Pokemon Go had just launched, and Boone's converted church was a gym, which is an important place in the game of Pokemon Go. And this was Boone's introduction to the game and uh, to its use of
1: augmented reality. In, in in your talk yesterday, you um you joked about the fact that um the the AR changes, uh, augmented reality changes so quickly (laughs) that by the time you start doing the talk, it's already changed. So that was yesterday. So we can throw that all away and we can start again. We can have a conversation now about what is... We can start from scratch. We can start from scratch.
2: uh, Start from scratch and have another whole conversation. And, And that's what's kind of the most amazing and frustrating part about working with augmented reality or, depending on where you are in the world, mixed reality, right? There's this great conversation still happening about augmented versus mixed reality,
1: or whether it's kind of just from the, the kind of like how it's um, how accessible the phrase is.
2: Yes, uh, there's definitely a continuum from, from virtual reality to full reality, and there's this space where people talk about augmented virtuality. You don't hear it discussed very often. It's a term that's there. Then you've got mixed reality and augmented reality. Uh, on some level, I think I hear mixed reality more from folks that are for certain companies that like it as a marketing term and are mm-hmm. like They'd like to. St- Harve out a space for their products with that. But augmented reality is the term everyone knows, and I think it's the acronym that everyone hears most often, so it, it, it clicks more often than not. If you say mixed reality to someone, I think you'll still get a raised eyebrow and a question. Um, but certainly on the scheme uh, from s- uh, virtual reality, then you're moving into augmented.
1: Yeah. And of course, any of us that have played Pokemon Go will have seen <laughs> AR underneath the little mm-hmm. switch there to turn it on and off. Yep. So clearly understand what yeah. that means.
2: And mm-hmm. it's even it's reached the point where AR is a category in places like the App Store and the Google Play Store. And so you mm. see people marketing and selling their products. And that's kind of the exciting part. That's the mix of exciting and frustrating. Marketing has embraced augmented reality and they're talking about it. But some of the best augmented reality tools don't even come across as augmented reality, right? The future of augmented reality is not someone saying, try my augmented reality tool. Mm -hmm. The future is, oh, I'm just pulling up my phone and I'm using my camera to pull in information and GPS information is being Mm -hmm. overlaid and I'm doing things and I never even think to myself, this is augmented reality. I don't make that leap. It's already just sort of baked into the tools I'm using. Yeah, you had that (laughs)
0: example of the dressing room where people tried on clothes. Yes. By a mirror that is actually Augmented reality. Right. And they didn't realize they were using augmented reality. Yeah, the person Mm -hmm. I saw Mm -hmm. using
2: one of those said, How how do you think about this? Oh, this is great. It's Mm. the idea of the virtual changing room and the mirror that just put on Mm. the different outfits. But no one would really say later on, Oh, I tried an augmented reality mirror. Mm. Right. That's just, it's great that we've moved past AR having to be a thing. And now just, here are the cool things we can do. Here's how we're pulling in more data and giving people a chance to do things before that would have taken another device, uh, maybe a second camera, or even a third camera, and then another device on top of that to blend all the information.
1: Mm. So I think about, you showed in the, the talk as well about the, the thing about virtual reality, so VR, how that's kind of like, the, it, it's tried so hard for, <laughs> for decades, it really, really wants to be a thing, and, and it, it just doesn't manage to, to, to get its fingers tightly on hold of us and, and fly off. I love
2: the reaction someone tweeted to the talk that said, virtual reality is persistent. It hasn't given up, Mm. right? And that VR's always been there, just knocking at the door. Mm. And if you're slightly cynical, like myself, that every year there's another headline that VR is just around the corner, Mm. just around the corner. You know, I've got gaming magazines from Nintendo that talk about virtual reality is finally here, and Mm. that never happened. Oculus Go was supposed to make it everywhere. Um, Mm. It's happening for better or for worse, VR is happening, but I think the expectations were set so poorly that everyone thought something would be happening now, and it would be big, and it would be immersive, and it would be cheap, and it would it would keep happening. The new Oculus uh, Go headset is fantastic. They're getting lighter. They're getting faster. But AR is just permeating everything we do because of our phones and the cameras and the, and the tools we have. VR still requires a headset, still requires more technology and there are people that still aren't even comfortable with that idea. Mm -hmm. You know, you talk about uh, when when I've been somewhere with a virtual reality headset and you hand it to someone, some people grab it out of your hands and put it on as fast as they can. Mm -hmm. Others, they hold it for a minute and there's a judgment of, do I really wanna do this? Mm -hmm. And some people just physically don't like the idea. Some people can't stand the idea of putting something on their head that then blocks out the rest of the world uh, sensory deprivation like that can be really weird, and it's something that I think is, I, I feel like I've seen that reaction on with age as a defining factor. The older someone is, and the more new this technology is, but that's just anecdote. That's anecdotal. That's nothing based on any yeah. any many numbers or anything.
1: Yeah. Well, then, so I mean, with VR, I think there's, there you've got maybe this specific, well, maybe in, industrial or or um, work related applications of VR. Maybe that that is active relevant and happening now but as a as a commercial thing for for the 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 wider world Mm -hmm. no it's it's kind of not really there whereas uh, ar is the thing that that we, because of our smartphones, seem to be allowing mm-hmm. in through the door and yeah. seeing seeing applications for that are, are worthwhile.
2: And can use it in your hands and I, I love that you mentioned the idea of VR in the workplace because that's also where AR is doing amazing things. Mm-hmm. What I don't think we recognize as consumers is that augmented reality is happening all over the enterprise. It does wonderful things for giving you the ability to have information overlays, and that does fantastic things in things like industrial work, at factories, when you're dealing with heavy machinery and you have the idea of, I'm looking at a wall of uh, of equipment, mm-hmm. and instead of having to check each individual dial and valve, I can have that routed to something like a Google Glass or a headset that's mm-hmm. AR, and it's overlaying those values for me. So as I've been doing this research, it's tougher when you're not in the enterprise itself, but if you start researching it, you see it's there. You see that industrial uh, industrial uses are, are rampant. You see a lot of it coming in healthcare, and I think it's fascinating because VR and AR have so many things to teach us about healthcare and the way we deliver healthcare, but I don't think you'll really recognize it until the day that your doctor says, so I'm going to do this complicated surgery with you, and I have trained to do it 400 times in virtual reality. So I want <laughs> you to understand that you know this is part of my training. And that's happening. Complicated, complicated surgeries that you would never be able to do on a human being, VR lets you do that.
1: Right.
2: You know, AR overlays, you can just think about it right now that if your surgeon has an overlay on a piece of glass, or on, I always say glasses, but it is whatever the device is, mm. that's feeding them information about what they're doing, mm. the possibilities are very powerful and very positive.
1: Mm. Yeah, we, they give you it gives you gives us the opportunity to not just enhance um interfaces because I mean, this it was arguably even surgery is like an interface between the doctor and yep. and you. Um, they've got to understand the interface <laughs> they're playing <laughs> with. Well, um, going back to your example about valves or a big kind of complex bit of machinery, um, some of these things can be um, outdated interfaces or interfaces that may be very very complicated to to correct or, or to change. Yes. Whereas you could actually redesign them or or enhance them through augmented reality without ripping them out and putting new ones in. Right, you could.
2: The possibility exists to leapfrog an old technology rather than ripping apart the mechanical guts of something by adding in sensors and adding in readouts that are more accessible. I'm not an industrial scientist. I've only seen a few examples of it. Uh, so I want to be cautious that I don't speak about it as an expert. Mm. But it's there, and that's what companies are doing. GE has been doing this for a long time Mm. with their industrial platforms. It's one of the few areas where I think the Internet of Things has a lot of potential. When you think of every device that could have a sensor, lots of times that's quite annoying. But if it's a a piece of equipment or machinery that physically is hard to reach or manipulate, Mm. yet you need the data from it, that's the perfect time for a sensor, and then that readout can be anywhere you're viewing and can be Mm. viewed so much more differently through AR lenses and through devices. Not just I have to stop and pull up my phone, it could be that as I'm walking through uh, a factory floor with something that is gonna deliver that information, I can see red, yellow, green. I can Mm. see outputs to let me know what's happening. I feel like that's the future of AR that is the most boring to the consumer, but it has some of the most immediate use, and that's where I think companies have been quietly spending a lot of money, and we'll see the benefit from it on the other side.
0: But I see it strictly from an educational environment as well, Then, and and when you said machines, the both of you, I'm thinking of all the times when I have something to do with my car. I have to remove the battery or or switch a light bulb. I go to YouTube. Mm. Now, if I had an overlay, if I had augmented reality instead, I could do it at the same time as I was watching a guide for, for doing that, piece of maintenance on my car, uh, which be <laughs> would save time and would be hugely useful, Yeah, save money as well. It's funny
2: when mm. you think about mm. augmented reality, or it's funny for me, mm. that augmented reality was all of these different things, mm. and it could be anything, but as you spend a little more time mm. with it and you recognize you have location-specific applications, you have beacon-specific applications, mm. and then you have this informational overlay, and it's, on some level, it doesn't feel as like the most exciting thing. I'm using AR to layer information on mm. top of something else, as you said, interfaces. And I think, as I said in my talk, interfaces on top of interfaces. Mm, yeah. But the, uh, that idea of contextual information while you're looking at exactly the thing yeah. you need it for is kind of the coolest mm. part of it. Mm, mm. Now, I don't have to go find my uh, automobile manual. Mm. I can pull up the AR manual on my phone, open the hood and say, okay, you told me to change the brake fluid, Mm -hmm. which of these contains my brake fluid? And the idea that for me, that's a small thing, but for someone who has less comfort with dealing with the piece of machinery or Mm -hmm. the task, that, that level of assistance is amazing, and as a designer, Sometimes it's almost anticlimactic. It's a case of, oh, so I'm just going to parse apart a manual and chunk it out, and then I'm going to show it in a couple of overlays. Mm. Oh, well, it sounds like a bunch of pop-up windows, which is what someone said <laughs> to me once I, s- I explained how I thought <laughs> we could do this project. Mm. And they said, well, that's just basically a bunch of pop-up windows. And I said, it kind of is, but they're, but it's the best pop-up window experience you yeah, could ever want because you're looking at exactly the thing you need, mm. and you've already said... By using the your phone and by using that app, you've said, help me, please. You've raised your hand and you've asked for the help rather than that moment on a website where mm. a, a window pops up and you do you just want to smash your monitor
1: against mm. the side of the wall. So, so leading on from that, as as, as designers, what do we design um, in this augmented reality um, overlay interface overlay-based world that we're seeing coming? <laughs> it's going to
2: be frustrating, I think, at first because it is information dense. Uh, it means rethinking a lot of interactions. And I say, interact. You know, depending on what part of design you come from and how you talk about it, that it's interaction design at the core, right? You're going to have objects that you're going to be able to manipulate and adjust. From the informational overlay, it's a little bit easier because you're probably dealing with an object that you've identified or a beacon that you've arrived at, and you're putting information on top of it. Those become a little bit easier. But using Pokemon Go as that example, and you think of almost every other game where you're adding new objects into your view, you have to get really specific about what's going to happen when I interact with this. From a tactical standpoint, you have to think about your tap zones and your motions and your movements. So gestures and the specificity of the interface become much more critical than it used to be. We're used to, we went from a mouse, which gave us pixel you know, pixel precision when, where you were, what you were doing, to gestures. I think designers made, a great, made that leap really well when you're working with a touch interface. There aren't as many surprises anymore. I think we've reached a level of capability with that. But now we're adding in that level of here's a thing, and if you, so I'm looking through, I'm looking at a scene in an AR experience, and I see something, and I'm not sure whether or not I can interact with it. So there needs to be cues like discoverability. There need to be cues for what might happen if I Mm -hmm. pick this up, do I if I flick it, if I throw it, if I tap it, if I turn it. There's all these different interactions that are part of gestures that I'm not sure I had always thought of as a designer. So it's made me rethink gestures, it's made me rethink outcomes. And when I've talked to teams that have built these, uh, built AR apps, that's where they have to spend a lot of time and, and they learn a lot more about, oh, we, we had this idea that you could pull something out of a box and then put it on the floor, but we didn't think about what happens if you pick it up and you throw it out of the box. Mm. Or what if you pick up the box and empty it out? Right? It adds new interactions, which can be challenging if you don't. and can lead down rabbit holes if you really open it up. Um, when everything isn't, when everything is an option, that's kind of frightening. But as you, as you, if you have con- the right level of constraints, and what you're building, then it's a case of all right. Well, let's take a second. And one of the folks I talked to said they just literally sat in a room and they picked up a box and said, what are all the things we can do with this? And to think about the physics of it and the motion of it. So as designers, there are some very simple things that I think will continue to to happen. We'll definitely have to rethink about how we layer interfaces, because when you're looking at the world through a phone, through an interface, your world getting smaller and smaller Uh, motion and motion graphics and the idea of the physics of objects change a great deal. So it's kind of exciting. I've been saying kind of exciting. It's exciting, period, because <laughs> there's all these new things to do. The challenges are. If your project timeline allows for it, if, if you have the tools to play around with it and, and whether or not what you're building even deserves it, because we've seen with Pokemon Go, it was incredibly playful and it, it allowed you to do all these things in the real world. And some of those things lead to great usa- usable tools later on, but some are just, they are literally, it's a toy, and it's a behavior that maybe you wouldn't use in another context.
1: I'm mm-hmm. I, I thinking now that um, a lot of the, the, the examples, um, with gestures and so on that we're talking about now, they, they feel like they're, they're on a platform level, so like augmented reality. Mm-hmm. Um, do, you think, do you think we're going to head towards um, uh, augmented reality standards that there are, they're going to be kind of patent answers to some of these tip out of box and once they're once they're solved maybe maybe that's going to make make it more like putting together
2: lego i hope so i hope we're getting there Um, the vr community has been talking about standards for quite a long time and the there's some great talks by folks at mozilla and other groups that have talked about the rules of personal presence and the rules of interface you know that idea of Uh, how much space you have between yourself and the world and how you keep a sphere around your head and that there's a general rule that you're not supposed to let someone come in too far behind you or too close behind you. Mm. And those rules, have I haven't seen them planted firmly yet in AR, but they're there, right? Those Mm. standards are showing up for what behavior can be. I hope with Google, Apple, Amazon, Unity and others sort of each launching a kit, that there will be a chance for some standards to occur. It's always a challenge when you have different companies and different development kits, Mm -hmm. and they have their own goals. But I feel like we will reach that point with patterns. It's funny because I was just talking to someone about this the other day that there will, I hope will evolve into some sort of pattern for certain types of objects and for certain interactions because the challenge for AR, if it becomes too fragmented and the idea is that, oh, when you're using AR, an Android device, on an Android device, you're going to see the world through this lens, no mm. pun intended. And when you're using it through an Apple device, you're going to use it this way. And that you really don't want people to think about the platform which impacts their gestures. Uh, I think the companies and the publishers will have an impact, but I hope designers will continue to have conversations around standards and have that moment of it doesn't matter what platform you're building it for, if you're building this, this is the inter- This is the standard interaction. Because ho- hopefully the market will help dictate that. If you do something that's accessible to everyone, they'll spend time with it. If you build something that's really different and unique, mm. you know, the idea of if you do something so crazy, it's like, this is amazing, but it's so crazy that no one remembers how to do it, mm. those things might fall by the yeah. wayside.
1: I mean, I think so far we've, we've seen the kind of really high-level <laughs> Interaction stuff on, with on mobiles, of so smartphones, mm-hmm. that seems to have standardised itself. It's yeah. my, my, my impression is that doesn't really matter iPhone or, or Android. You, you, certain things you're gonna you're gonna throw the ball the same way and put yes. them on Go from both the devices. Mm-hmm. Um, but in other aspects of of what we work with, you know, we're still having browser wars. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, decades on from from the start of it all. Yeah. So some standards seem to settle pretty c- quick, and some yeah. standards seem to be doomed to be fragmented.
2: Yeah, and some of that is probably going to be resident in whatever the OS of the device is. Um, you, if you're working, in on, uh, working on an Apple device, when it comes time to interact with Apple's file system and pull information in or out, there's really only a couple of ways you'll be able to do it. And ditto for another platform. You know, when you're looking at uh, the way that you pull information into an ar app at some point in time you generally navigate either a file system or you're capturing information from a camera so you'll always have that layer on top of it mm-hmm. and, and and that again that's that layer upon layer upon layer whatever you're doing at some point in time in ar you either have to interact with something that adjusts the controls mm-hmm. or you're doing something that enhances the control so there's there's lots of um to use a, a a very grandmother, a term my grandmother was. is lots of fiddly bits, <laughs> right? There's lots of little things, and, and that's where the trick is for interaction design and for the things that get built further on is even the smallest thing now can mean so much more. A small thing in an interface used to have a little bit of import, but in AR, that could be your, por- that could be your jumping point off to something bigger, right. and you'll need to make sure that people understand they can get that and they can work with it.
0: One thing I thought of yesterday was when you were talking, which you sort of mentioned now as well, with that, different age groups maybe interpret AR a different way. They have a d- more difficulty interacting with it. At least different groups have mm-hmm. difficulty interacting with it. So it's very visual. It's very much controlled with fingers. I mean, yeah. there's an accessibility issue here. Are we going down a route where you actually don't pay attention to accessibility issues? Oh, as I, hope much? No,
2: yeah. I, I, I hope not. No, I hope not. You are. You're correct, we're talking mm. about certain devices mm. that have a vi- very visual component. Mm. There are some audio aspects to augmented reality that I think are, uh, we're just seeing now. Um, a lot of that has to do with the development kits and who has access to the, to the resources. Mm. My hope is that it, we move more into accessibility and that more controllers are adopted. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar, Xbox just launched a whole new set of controllers so that people can game with an entire new kit full of things. So I'm confident that the controllers will continue to grow and adapt, mm. and I feel like those might be the ways that you interact with it so it's if you have limited motion limited range of motion in your hands, mm. there will be other controllers to help you manipulate it and help you connect with it so i I really hope that accessibility continues to be a thing or that's a terrible phrase I hope yeah. accessibility continues <laughs> to be a thing <laughs> I hope. I hope AR <laughs> never loses that. Yeah. I think there's a hardware component to it mm. because we'll need different types of hardware mm. to then replicate what are physical actions on a screen. Yeah. Uh, whether it's eye tracking, whether it's secondary types of controllers, whether, mm. whether it's motion. Mm. And again, if you have a camera, you can track someone's motion. And so it could be that you could control things in AR with merely a camera. It may not need gestures. Yeah. It may not need any of that. And, and I hope voice control shows up in there t- soon. Uh, again, I feel like these are things that are being worked on in the enterprise and are being worked on in other settings. We don't see them yet in consumer applications because we see the stuff that people are willing to sell, exactly. or we see the things that people want headlines for. You know, uh, As I mentioned in my talk, Samsung has an augmented reality toothbrush. <laughs> and on the surface of it, that is just ridiculous. It does sound ridiculous. <laughs> right? But, mm. but with that is coming new controls and new inputs and a way to sort of connect hardware to it. and Humorously enough, if it gets kids to brush their teeth, it can't be that bad a thing. Mm. Of course, what they do with the data and the video that they take—that's its own ball of wax. But, but we'll see the weird things. And my hope is that the weird things that make us laugh a little bit and chuckle, the technology gets gets folded into something useful, so that maybe down the road, when it's time for someone to take care uh, to do a skincare regimen because they have skin cancer, mm. that same tool that was helping kids do their teeth brushing says, hey, now you need to make sure that you cover these three areas of your your face with Mm. medication because this will help keep your cancer in check or Mm. this will help keep your condition in check. Mm. So the fun stuff leads to the better and more serious stuff.
0: Mm. That's a great way of putting it.
2: I think that's my greatest joy in learning about AR as as a non-technical person, as a designer, as someone who just plays with it, is that the cool things get your attention, get headlines, and fade away. But the things that are happening that come with it are amazing. uh, I would ask anyone listening to this to go research about VR therapy and how VR helps people recover from post-traumatic stress disorder Mm -hmm. and therapy. And the avenues that are open with AR and VR for therapeutic use are amazing, and I don't think they're talked about enough. It's such a good thing, and it's a technology story, but it's when you have someone who's had physical and emotional trauma, and they can use VR to experience a world that's different and calm their fears, um, reduce blood pressure, give them a sense of well-being. Those types of outcomes are the best, and I'll take a million toothbrushing apps if we get to the point where people can do stress management and health management and deal with really serious conditions in in an AR or VR environment.
1: That's a, I think that's a very um, inspiring um, note to finish on. Thank you very much for joining us Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure
0: to hang out. Despite my worries there about about accessibility, I think this conversation with Boone, it, it really accentuates the fact that this is bringing us back to a very human side of technology because augmented and virtual reality is all about being immersive and using your body and senses, which means that you are performing things that have that are some s- somehow attached to things that you would be performing in real life. But also the examples we were talking about, they were about education and healthcare and maybe avoiding industrial accidents. It's like making people a better version of themselves. And I really like that take on it. And it seems like the more attached and immersive we come with, with technology – the more stuff can actually happen in making us better, uh, better decision-makers, perhaps, uh, with the help of these tools.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, 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 took, um, I took up Boone's um, encouragement there to to search for, um, for VRT, mm. um, VR therapy. Oh, yeah. Um, and he's right. It's really, really fascinating. What I, what I quickly realized when I searched for it is that this ties into what you spent the last few years um, working with, and that one of the one of the applications for VR therapy um, is um, CBT, so cognit- cognitive um, behavioral therapy, I- right. using computerized CBT, and and how um, virtual reality can be used not just with um, helping treat um, soldiers with um, post traumatic um, stress disorder, but but also other forms of, of um, cognitive therapy that you you would maybe. You would expose someone to um, maybe the most extreme, um, traumatic version of something to to judge to get the judge of the scale, and then you would maybe ramp back from that to the to a, to a less traumatic version, or, or the other way around. You'd start and work your way up. So th- it can be, like you say, connected to the human and making us better humans by helping us um, get better.
0: Right. I've seen examples wise. of that. I think I've seen examples of like if you have social phobia, you may actually have A big audience in front of you, but in virtual reality. So it's a filmed audience, but you have to stand in front of them and present, but they're not really there. Or like having a spider sit on the table when you put your VR glasses on because you're afraid. So dealing with phobias in that way is a really, really efficient way of using the technology without having to set yourself in the physical exposing situation.
1: Yeah, it's an under, it's a logical and understandable use for it. Yeah, I mean we we talked about um, uh, mentioned about doctors um, and maybe using simulators and virtual reality to train. Um, I mean that's something if you think about it, that's something that pilots have been doing for for decades. Right. I mean it's it's a it's a recognised and mm. acceptable part of their training is mm. um, or even a requirement that they have to do so many hours in a simulator before you know, as well as the the real flight hours. Exactly. Um, you know. Uh, I can completely understand and and expect us to get to a stage where we we need doctors to to also do hours in the simulator to Mm. be qualified or to keep up their training.
0: And I see it in school that the kids could actually be involved in learning. They are at different learning uh, speeds, but they can actually revise and go back with the help of video technology and VR glasses, see what the teacher did, and go through that explanation once more without the teacher actually having to do it once more in front of the whole class. Uh, there are so many, so many
1: uh,
0: aspects of this that are that ready to implement quite soon, if just people are ready to adopt it.
1: Yeah, and, and I think by focusing on, on th- as, as we like to do, focusing on the actual um, problem or, or thing you're trying to achieve, rather than... Um, AR or VR um, as a gimmick. Yes, I think it's got mm. a, it's obviously got a much bigger chance of succeeding. Mm. But um, you mentioned, um, or we mentioned also the the accessibility aspect of of, of AR, um, even VR. But I think for me, I've been thinking now, reflecting on the the inclusiveness of it. Mm. How do we how do we make um, AR well, and VR, but AI. I'm thinking in particular: th- how do we make it more inclusive? Um, you know, because it's such a visual medium. It but is
0: extremely visual, and uh, also it's it's not uh, well, what do you call it? T- a touch. Uh, so it, it's all it's all virtual. Of course, that's what it's called: <laughs> virtual reality. But usually, I mean, there are there are experiments going on, of course, with gloves so that you could actually feel the things within the VR world. Uh, and i guess if you were a doctor doing an operating experiment uh inside this space then you would actually need to be able to feel stuff because otherwise it wouldn't work uh but if if you can't sense uh, hearing uh, touch sight i mean we need to solve that but uh, in a sense we know what to solve we need we, we need we need audio descriptions mm-hmm. uh <laughs> there are things we need that s- sort of we have been working our way through Uh, WCAG, we know about the web content accessibility guidelines, we're starting to learn about these, Mm -hmm. how we can actually counter disabilities, so it's not about disabilities anymore, it's about giving people abilities, and I I think maybe virtual reality actually is a use case where we can give more abilities than we take away.
1: I think think we can make um, um, AR more inclusive um, if we start tying it together with maybe um, image um, recognition technology. Because when we think about AR, it's 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 mm. looking at the world around using sensors in your, of, most often in your in your telephone or mobile smartphone that you've got with you. You right. use the the data it can gather from the environment around you to then layer something on top. Mm. You do, it doesn't have to be a, a actual lens to the world. Mm. You could you could potentially take a, a picture, or even just a sound recording of the environment on, around you, and and then you could offer an alternative way of presenting the options. So yeah. you could. You could read out mm. um, what's there. You could read out, you, know, you could display a different type of menu based on what you can see around you. It doesn't have to be layered on top of the real world. Right, exactly.
0: That makes me think of uh, the blind film critic on YouTube, which is a favorite channel of mine. Uh, so he's blind, and, but he loves to use Instagram. And I would tell people this. Well, why does he love to use Instagram? Well, because he, when he's on vacation, he takes pictures of stuff, posts, posts it on Instagram, and asks his followers, what am I looking at? Hmm. Uh, so, so that he can actually get feedback on the things around him, uh, which is an awesome way of using Instagram. Uh, and so I see, I see a world where you can actually... So the cameras are interpreting what's in front of you and is able to describe that. And, and with big data and with all the technology that's going on in the world, I
1: think that's certainly a possibility in the future. Absolutely. So mm-hmm. that, that his use of Instagram... Instagram mm-hmm. is an augmented reality tool for him. Exactly. Fantastic. Yeah. So...
0: Thank you for spending your time with us. As always, links and notes from this episode can be found on uxpodcast.com. And if you want something to listen to next, uh, we recommend episode 125, Design Doing with
1: Don Norman. And in that episode, we actually talk about haptic feedback and use of gloves and things um, as part of augmented reality. Wow. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. knock who's there ride on
0: ride on who
1: ride on time <laughs> what? I, I was quite i was quite impressed i found a pokemon related j- knock knock joke <laughs> <laughs> uh, with with 90s dance music i mean what how how much better can you get